Highland, Connecticut. So it wasn't as far as having to go to my parents, but it's just like, oh, why are we driving here just for the flower meeting? And But yeah. And then we met up after that uh, with my parents at this barbecue place nearby that was really good. So that was okay. nice. So you just literally like drove down and then drove back up. Yeah. Yeah, we left. Yeah. I think we left at, at basically around 8 for an 11 o'clock and there was this random traffic and it was raining so we didn't end up getting there until like 1107 but then the person we were meeting apparently wasn't really free until like 1115 anyway so it actually worked out yeah <laughs> but yeah and then yeah then we had lunch and then left so i think we ended up getting back home around like 4 4 30 something like that that's not too bad so. productive it's pro- it's a productive weekend when you yeah. did a trip into Connecticut. So. And then on Sunday, we did go to uh, SOA, that like big market mm-hmm. um, in the South End. So it was good. It was, oh, the first time using the commuter rail ever. So that was exciting. Yay. But Congrats. You've only lived here like five years. I know. I've never had the need to use a commuter rail. It's basically, it's designed for just going further than the like normal subway. Yeah. So like, yeah, people, it seems like the commuter rail is basically designed for people who have to commute to work and are like further out, I'm guessing. But it's a double decker, which is cool. Yeah, they're fun. I don't know. I like the commuter rail. Like, it's fun because you can definitely tell who are like the seasoned, like they do this every day. They know what they're doing. And then the tourists who are like, I'm just trying to get to this yeah. location. So Yeah, it was pretty nice. And it wasn't full. It probably was less than half full each of the cars. So that was good. That's good. Yeah. yeah, basically. So yeah, it was good doing that because we've been wondering how how it is to take that to get into Boston from where we are. And it was basically about like a half hour on the commuter rail, so it's pretty good. It's pretty easy. Yeah. So come to Boston. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so it's it's a half hour to get to South Station specifically. So that's, oh, that's like not a bad. good way of knowing because that's where we got out and then we had to walk over somewhere else to get to the market. But we'll most likely be getting off at South Station or somewhere near there. So now we like actually know mm-hmm. for sure how long it takes. And you know so. South Station. I feel like you worked near South Station yeah, at some point. I, one of the jobs I tempted at was right next to one of those weird pod things they have for South It was like literally right in front of one of those entrances to get there. So yeah, yep. that was when I lived in Quincy and worked tempted at that place. So it was like super easy. So, yeah, that was nice at that point. I'm happy I'm not temping anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. Yeah. No, thank you. But it was fun to at least have worked in Boston for a little bit. Yeah, because, like, those areas will change, but, like, you'll still, like, know them. Like, South Station doesn't change too much. Like, South Station, the inside has changed a lot because of COVID, but, like, the surrounding areas... Right. It's almost like a focal point for where you get to other places in Boston. It's like, where is it related to South Station? At least I feel like, because we usually do like Red Line, but yeah, I don't know. 
And it's where the Amtrak is. <laughs> Besides North yes. Station, I guess. Yeah. North but. Station is, yeah, because they only go, like, Maine, New Hampshire, Chicago, I oh, think. Oh, okay. And then South Station goes, like, down to, like, D.C. and yep. No, South Station goes to Chicago, I feel like, too. But, like, D.C. and Virginia and, like, that's why that took me forever to learn why is it like north station and south station it's like oh because they go in two different directions okay mm-hmm. but i could be wrong but yeah oh yeah that makes sense yeah because i feel like whenever you're in south station for amtrak it mainly says like washington so yeah i know there's a, a main one i've been curious about trying that i know there's one to chicago which i've kind of always wanted to do just to like mm-hmm. i've never been to chicago so just to like see but I don't know. I feel like that's a long train ride. And it's like, yeah. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> but maybe one day. Maybe they have an Excella version. Yeah. It's either like two hours faster, maybe. Mm. Be nice. Dave and his dad took an Excella from Boston to New York City once. And like he, to this day, talks about how nice it was. And I think he did it like six or five years ago or something like that. It's like, oh, that Excelic train. I don't know. There's something about trains which, like, they're really, like, I don't know. Like, I don't mind flying, but, like, I kind of prefer the train a little bit more because it's, like, literally, like, you just sit. Right. And it's yeah, easier it's to get Yeah, it's less chaotic. To. There's no, yeah. like, security. There's no customs. Like, when I, I went. crossing a border, maybe. Yeah, like, when I went down for your bridal shower, I was in first, or I was in business class, like, on the way back up because I did a oh, bid because okay. you can bid for like 29 or 30 dollars to oh. see if you get like a ticket for business class and i <laughs> really? i got it yeah oh and wow. I, it's like this new thing it. yeah it's like this new thing that they're doing and they're like oh. okay here's and i was great because i was like i have an assigned seat so i'm like so i know i have a seat and no one sat next That's to me a funny idea people bidding wow it's great and like i got to sit near like really nice people and everyone was like in their business suits like looking like they're going to work and i was like i'm okay with this like i can so much more sophisticated (laughs) well compared to like going down your bridal shower there's like a fight on my train like in the quiet car of all cars it's the most ironic car for a fight to break out I was like, I'm going to do business class because at least, like, it's quieter and they're more strict back there and just Yeah, don't me... you get some perks with business class, too? Like, you get a free drink or something like that, I think I, I heard. I think you used to. I mean, it is, like, the seats are wider and you get, like, a footrest and you have, like, you can yeah. have, like, you can close, like, the windows with, like, a shade if you want, like, a curtain. Oh, wow. But, yeah, no, it was really nice. I was I was enjoying reading my book and watching my movie for the three and a half hours and it was just like this is this is a good end to the weekend. Like this is relaxing. Yeah, I can relax true. and just get to South Station and then go home. Yeah, I've never done business class on Amtrak before, so that would be fun to test out once. Yeah, and it's just like I don't know. I like it. Cause again, it's not me going from car to car looking for a seat. Or wondering yep. if I'm going to have a space yeah. for my luggage. It's like, oh, no, I get a seat and there's space for my luggage. This is great. How many times do you have to, like, stand there and, like, pretend to put up the luggage but then realize you can't reach it? And then, like, some guy has to come over and be like, here, let me help you. That's only happened to me once because I swear <laughs> people like to watch short people struggle. Yeah. They think it's funny <laughs> because I'll literally be, like, 
trying to like put my duffel my duffel did not weigh much when I went home that weekend either I had like a dress a pair of shoes and a pair of pants and like that was it but still like to get it up it's like you have to get like over a bar overhead and like everyone was just staring at me and I was like this is the grocery store all over again because literally in the grocery store I have been that person that will open like the freezer section climb on top of it oh and then like hang on to the shelves trying to get my stuff and no one helps me why have we never gone grocery shopping together (laughs) (laughs) because we i don't know because i've literally done that or i'll jump (laughs) and i'll try to like get like the top or i'll try to like go through like if i can get like the bottom of the shelf if it's like i can like spring it up like jump and like yeah i get create you get creative when you're (laughs) when you're short trying to grocery shop by yourself i had to the i've never had to do that with grocery shopping but uh at my last apartment i was at for some reason the cabinets it was like normal level like to your waist or whatever um but then like for some reason the ones above you seemed super high like there were two or three shelves and i was basically only able to reach the most like the lowest one Mm-hmm. So if anything was above the lowest one, I would have to kind of climb onto the counter to get. I was like, really, this is so annoying. I had like a little yep. step ladder, but yeah. yeah, I caved and I finally bought like a step stool when I moved because I was like, I need yeah, this. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna have carry around anymore to like help yeah. me get the tall stuff. <laughs> so yeah, but it's it's, it's such sucks. a struggle. It just sucks, and people just laugh at you, and it's like it's not funny. Oh, really? Like watching me struggle is not part of your comedy routine. Like I'm not mm. here to make you laugh. I'm here to just get my groceries and go home. You just want this ice cream. Yep, that's all I want. Literally, I have like looked up at stuff and been like, I don't need that today. That's too tall for me, oh, and wow. just walked away because I'm like, what I'm stores not. are these, or is it every store? <laughs> it's like mostly it's like Star Market, which used to be like oh, okay. shops. Mostly Star Market yeah. for me. Occasionally Target, where I also will look around and be like, all right, who is tall that I can, like, wrangle over here to just, like, help me? Uh, I get, yeah, you, you get creative. You know, Well, you know this. I mean, you're... So, yeah. Like, you're a good height, but, like... I was asking about if anyone, like, helps you on the train because the last time I flew out, like, to Turks and Caicos, I was like... It was kind of heavy. I definitely overpacked. I had like a carry-on, which didn't fit on one of the flights, but usually it's supposed to fit like to go in the overhead. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. I had a bigger one for basically like a week of vacation. So I probably didn't need both. So I was trying to put like the carry-on in the overhead at one point. And it was just like the angling was awkward. There were like other bags already there. So I was trying to like fit it in at the right spot. And then there's a guy behind me or next to me. He's just like, like, let me help you. <laughs> like, Dave I didn't help struggling. you. Dave. Uh, so this was, I think, when the flights were messed up. Okay. So yeah, so none of us sat next to each other. Basically, it was a shorter okay. flight. So I think on the long flight we were, but yeah, it was a short flight. So like Dave like- was, I know, <laughs> <laughs> like Dave, you're like six foot. <laughs> We weren't near each other, but I think he was still, like, I was able to see him if I kind of, like, stood up in my seat, so I may have still been in his eye line, but yeah, some other random person had to help me. Like, he was kind of, like, diagonal at an angle from where I ended up sitting or something, and he yeah. did go on before I did, too. So. I mean, 
This didn't happen on a plane or a train, but this happened in South Station. So, like, if you remember when you have to go down to, like, the trains, you go down, like, South Station, there's, like, an escalator. You keep walking mm-hmm. and then you, like, turn and you go through, like, the turnstile for the T. And there's a bunch of stairs that lead down. There's, like, the escalator and then there's stairs. So this was when I was in college and I must have been, like, a sophomore. And I had my little rolly bag, which was heavy because, like, I just come home and... I'm struggling with getting it down the stairs and I see this guy in front of me. He looks back at me. He huffs and then he just grabs my bag, doesn't ask me if I need help and just takes it down the stairs. And I'm like running after him like, you better not be stealing my bag right now. And he's like, here you go. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Like you took my bag without asking. Thank you for bringing it down the stairs. (laughs) But he just got so frustrated. I was like, you weren't even behind me. You were in front of me. That's so funny. He was like, just like forced you to, forced, I don't know, forced him to be helpful in the situation. I was like, thank you. Uh, Yeah. And clearly it's been like 10 years and I'm like, I still remember this happening. Like I kind of laugh every time I go through South Station. Like, oh yeah, that time the guy just like grabbed my bag to bring it down without asking me because he saw me struggling and I was too proud to ask for help happens but sometimes i do ask for help because i'm like no this isn't happening that's funny yeah welcome back everyone to another episode of oi with the terror already i'm one of your hosts danielle and i'm your other host sandra uh so i think we went off on another tangent again (laughs) i realized like i i was looking at the timer thing and i was like about five minutes in like remember to do intro soon Mm -hmm. and then it was like 12 minutes yeah and then it's like oh we forgot the intro sorry guys (laughs) at least we remember eventually we do we got better i think last week it was the 20 minute mark so, a little bit better. Okay, so I guess now it is time for Oi of the Week. Yep. So, I have two. Okay. I mean, they're both kind of shortish, so I guess we'll just do both of them. All right. Okay, so the short, short one is I've been getting, like, all these, like, random pimples, and it's very annoying. I don't know. That's the main annoyance. Like, I'm, like, putting all this stuff on my face. Like, instead of doing a face mask maybe once a week, I'm doing it twice a week. I have this, like, turmeric tonic stick, so I'm doing that. I even, like, put one of those nose strips for blackheads on it, and that Mm -hmm. actually did seem to work. But it's just, like, it's giant, and it's, like, three of them on my Mm -hmm. chin. Yeah, and, like, like, if the... I turn to the side in the mirror, it, like, sticks out. Like, it looks like I have, like, a witch's wart or something. And I don't know why this is happening. Um, I know why. Let's see. What's happening in your life, Danielle? <laughs> You're stressed because of the wedding, probably. Even if you don't yes. feel it. It's hot. So, like, we're sweating. The mask doesn't help. So... That's I true. Think... I, I I am wearing the mask to work, mm-hmm. at least in the common areas at work. So yeah. yeah, and especially if it's here, like it's just like if it's like on your chin and yep. then like on your cheeks and then like kind of your jawline. Yeah, that's just where it's gonna go. So that's I don't. True. I don't think. I think like it'll be better once it gets a little bit cooler, and like probably when you're you're done with the, especially even just like the wedding planning, like with the flowers and stuff. Mm. That's probably why your skin is like 
having a Maybe. moment. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah, it's probably mainly from the mask. Have you tried? Because I use them sometimes and they're helpful. They're like the little pimple like pad things that you put on. Oh, like those stickers? To, like, yeah, they're supposed to like suck. Not yeah. to be graphic, like the like, grossness out. Yeah, I did have those, but I ran out and I actually just ordered... I ordered those and some other kind of like acne cream mm-hmm. stuff and it's actually coming tomorrow. That's so good. yeah, I definitely want to try that. Yeah, those seem yeah. to work on like like when you don't have a group of pimples or whatever, when it's just like a singular one. Yeah. And then you can like sleep wearing it and stuff. That's what I do when I get mm-hmm. one because then it just gets rid of all the gross yeah, or toothpaste. True. Toothpaste kind of does the same thing too. It just gets yeah, rid of the I redness. I really tried that. Yeah. Or you can take if you have um like Tylenol, like not the the liquid gels, but just like the, the actual like pills, crush them and add a little bit of water and make a paste and leave the paste on for like twenty to thirty minutes. And that actually mm. also helps like reduce the redness and the swelling too. Yeah, that's so that's what's been like partly annoying with it, is it basically looks like a big red circle yeah. on my chin. It's like so if you just have so like, noticeable. if yeah. you just have like the Tylenol, like not the liquid gels, but like the actual like pills, Light. you yeah. can just crush them and make like a paste with a little bit of water, leave it on for like a half an hour, 40 minutes, and that'll help get rid of the redness too. Because that's what I do sometimes. Oh, okay. Or toothpaste. Toothpaste works too, too. So. Hmm. Yeah, if we have Tylenol, yeah. I'll try that. Yeah. Because that's what I do sometimes when I'm like, this zit just like is disgusting and I can't pop it and it won't go away. And I think if you get more stressed, it just makes it worse. So, Yeah, like I have this cover up type makeup, but I don't know if it's true, but I always think like that putting makeup on it probably makes it even worse. So I try to not do that. And then I just walk around with it. It's it is going away by now. But yeah, I feel like it's been almost a week at this point. Yeah, and I think I've heard cornstarch works too. Like if you have oh, some okay. cornstarch, put a little water in it and that make the paste and that'll like help. Yeah. Hmm. The weird the weird like remedies you hear when you're like, I have a really bad zit and I don't know what to right. do and everyone's like, Well try this, this, this and this and some and you occasionally and then find that one. someone runs over and they're like, You're a witch, I'm gonna burn you. <laughs> it will not be me running over. <laughs> yeah i yeah i like hearing all these home remedies well they work in a pinch too like if you're like i don't have time yeah. to go but i have like cornstarch or i already have like the tylenol mm. i mean i just try it it doesn't the okay. only thing with the tylenol with like the paste is it's a little messy so i used to like sleep with it on and that never really worked because it would just come off on like the pillow or the case or whatever oh yeah yeah so if you just leave it on before you go to bed and then you just wipe it off okay but- yeah. Okay, so I'll just do this one for the oil of the week because that went on longer than I expected. <laughs> Probably because I was like, "Well, I think I know why you're you're stressing." No, I'm. I was almost expecting like me to say what it was and for you to just be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> this is a better reaction. So now you're at your turn. All right. So my oil of the week. So my mom visited this past weekend, which is really great because mm-hmm. I haven't seen her in almost like two years. So we got to do like the fun like touristy stuff. And then yesterday we were like, we should go shopping because she's always like asking 
if I need like clothes or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I need a few things for work. So we go to Macy's and the fitting room at Macy's, because there was only one open on the floor, just one, there's like four in there, but there's one open was just like a nightmare. Like there were so many people trying to get in. I almost got walked in on like three times because people Mm. weren't knocking. They were just like opening the door. And I was like, um, there is somebody in here. But I think the biggest part, or at least like the main oi of the week, was that I was in like the big dressing room, like, you know, like the handicap one, because there's only one open. So I was in there and I was just like trying on clothes. And then I hear a girl talking to like one of the attendants, how she found a Macy's employee also. I don't know, because like they're kind of like, they're kind of mystical. Like when you need one, you can't find one. It's like the Home Depot people. You need one, you can't find them, but you don't need it. And you see like 10. Mm -hmm. So she like, the person's like tenants like knocking on the door and I'm just like yeah like somebody's in here and the girl's like okay I guess I'll just like wait out here and then like five minutes later she's like hi can I just come in because like I left a lot of clothes in there that I wanted to try on so I guess what she Mm. did was she got clothes she went to the dressing room she tried some on she didn't try all of them and then she left the remaining clothes she wanted to try on in the dressing room what went out (laughs) And thought she could come back in and continue. And I was like, that is not how a dressing room works, especially not at Macy's here. (laughs) She thought she reserved it. Basically. And I was like, you don't reserve a dressing room. You get your clothes. You go in. You try them on. If they don't have the size or you need a bigger size, you go out, get the new size and come back in and try to find another room if yours isn't available. Yeah. Like, do we need to go back to school here to learn how to use a dressing room? She just, like, I was, like, basically, like, mid midway through changing. And she's, like, I'm really yeah. sorry. I just need to go, like, ground in and get my clothes. And I was, like, she left her clothes in here. And I look behind me, and there's, like, two big piles of clothes. That's the other thing, too, that's a really oh big pet God. peeve of mine. When you try stuff on and you don't take it out of the room to put it on yeah, the rack yeah. so they can put it back. Like, it's not that hard. So I look behind me, and there's a huge pile of clothes. And I was, like, oh, she's talking to me. I didn't even realize she was talking to me. And then she tries to open the door. And I'm, like, um, can you wait a minute while I, like, wow. put on a shirt so, like, I can open the yeah. door? So then I opened the door, and I let her in. And she was just, like, thank you so much. And then I heard her, like, mutter something. And I was, like, well, what do you want me to do? You weren't in here. You can't reserve a dressing room. That's, That's not how so they work. weird. I know. Also, hang up your clothes if they don't fit so they can be put right. back. Like, help the people do their job. She like, just left them in piles. She left them in a huge pile, like two piles. And I was like, I don't know whose pile the like, other pile couldn't is. couldn't she just go back through the store to get the same things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I was just like, and then, like, I was done. And I just, like, went out of the dressing room. And I looked at my mom. And I was like, we can go now. And she's like, why? I was like, I just, I can't go back in that dressing room. Like, I just can't. I can't do it. I've been walked in, like, almost walked in on, like, three times at this point. Like, I'm right. good. Let's just go to Target. <laughs> yeah, I actually just recently found out that, like, fitting rooms are a thing again. Because yeah. I went in one a few weeks ago, and I actually didn't know. So, I guess, yeah, I went to Nordstrom Rack, and there were, nice. it was a thing there. So, and you went to Macy's, so I guess it must be okay now or whatever. Yeah, I was in Macy's a few weeks ago, I think, or like two months ago, and they had fitting rooms open. So they've been open for like a while. Mm. But the other issue is when Macy's only has like one fitting room open when they have like four. It's like if you had them all, we would not be having this issue. 
Oh, so then it was overcrowded. It was overcrowded. And then, like, just trying to find it was, like, yeah. my mom hmm. and I walked around for 10 minutes to try to find it. So, yeah, Macy's, I'm sorry. But, like, oh, wow. You need to get your shit together. Maybe it's good Dave isn't getting his wedding suit from Macy's. No. I mean, I'm sure their wedding suits are good, but, like, right, I just feel right. like they've gone down in quality. Hearing, like, a beeping, and I don't know. Yeah, I just heard that, too. Well, I guess this is a good time to start. Yeah. I'm curious because I have I have no clue. I just you just said murder and that is Again, you just tell me it's like murder and that's it. I was expecting you to text me and be like, did someone get killed? <laughs> like with the other times I've I sent you a hint. So I was like, I'll just tell Sandra someone gets killed. You said, and I quote, there's murder involved, but it definitely involves different types of crime as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I stand yeah. by that statement. And I was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> Great. I'm curious now. I definitely wanted to go in a different direction because I feel like I did the Honolulu Strangler. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, I did the Moore's Murders. So I wanted to find something different than just strictly murder and serial killers. So I was thinking what topic I'd want to do. And I did one con person, the con lady. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'll do a con man. And I was remembering this show I watched. It's from Bravo, I think. But now it's on Netflix. It's called Dirty John. I don't know if you've oh, seen it. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it, but it sounds it's really good. familiar. Eric Bana. Bana yeah, is in it, and he's very handsome. Yes, he's in... I just remember him from the other Bolin girl. Oh. He yeah, he's... It's been around a British? while. British? Australian? So. Something. something. He's not... Yeah. I don't think he's American. No. I don't think we make them like that. <laughs> I just shook my head sadly. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he plays. So Dirty John, it has two seasons. And both seasons are different stories. Mm -hmm. So the first season is based on a true crime about John. It's spelled like Meehan. I'm not sure if it's pronounced like Meehan or Mehan. M-E-E-H-A-N. I'm okay. not sure. I guess I'll say Mian. I don't know. So it's based on John Mian. The second season is based on, I'm like spacing on her name, um, Betty something, who that's also a true story, I guess, from like the 80s. Okay. And both of the stories are based around um, Southern California. But John is actually after Betty's. They're not related at all the seasons. Mm -hmm. Dirty John is from the 2000s. So, yeah, when I watched the show, I was like, this is crazy. And it's all true. As I was doing the research, I was remembering the scenes of the show. And I was like, yep, I remember that happening, that happening. So it doesn't seem like they really had to embellish much on the show because so much of this actually happened in real life. That's also kind of scary, too, to think that, like, yeah, you don't need to add anything. This is just, just report what happened, and here you go. Right. <laughs> yeah, they don't need the disclaimer, like, most of this is fictionalized. Mm-hmm. So, but 
Yes. So John Meehan was played by Eric Bana. And they do, if you look up photos of them, they do have a sort of resemblance. Like John Meehan was apparently 6'2", had sort of like medium dark brown hair, always looked like he was kind of in shape, like kind of like strong build. And that's mm-hmm. sort of how I describe Eric Bana. So I like when shows do that. So that was seemed pretty accurate. So basically the point of the first season is that the guy who looks and seems like Mr. Perfect at first sweeps this woman off her feet. Um, but then you find out he's actually not perfect and actually has tons of issues that are slowly revealed throughout the season. Um, so the show Dirty John is actually adapted from a popular true crime podcast inspired by Christopher Gofford's LA Times article. He was enthralled by the story of John, who manipulated a wealthy and successful designer named Deborah Newell. And this was actually part of one of his cons that led to an extremely violent ending. This is essentially a tale of a twisted 21st century tale of love, betrayal, and eventually death. 55-year-old John Meehan met Deborah Newell on a dating app in 2014. John at first seemed like a strapping, handsome, and doting physician who was also a veteran with a heart of gold. John's sister, Donna, recounts that he was born into a life of hustling. He had two sisters and one brother. After his parents divorced, his dad ran an unsavory type of casino and was constantly surrounded by shady scam artists. In school, John was an intelligent and popular student, but always had an interest in following in his father's footsteps with grifting and manipulation. In the 1980s, John was busted for dealing drugs and was exiled from California as part of a plea deal and started hopping from one university to the next. He eventually landed at the University of Dayton School of Law, This is where John's philandering ways earned him the notorious nickname of Dirty John. He met Tanya Sells, a nurse, in her 20s. They married shortly after meeting, and she actually supported him financially while he was in nursing school and earning his license as an (sighs) anesthesiologist. No, well, it's, it's like the shorter, okay. the shorter word of that, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So that word is going to come up a few times. Um, and then they had two kids together. According to Tanya, he was cheating on her, which led to her finding out that John was lying about most of the details of his life. He was addicted to painkillers that he was supposed to be doling out to his patients so he was stealing to patients from patients who actually needed the painkillers. Tanya found John's secret supply of surgical anesthetic drugs. While his marriage crumbled, John dived even deeper into his addiction and ended up in prison several times on drug and theft charges. He would make money by scamming lonely and single women. By the time he met Deborah Newell, they married in a shotgun Vegas wedding in 2014. At this point, John was hooked on opioids and built up a large number of felonies, in addition to a number of restraining orders from the past 25 years. 
When John met Deborah, she was a 59-year-old, independently wealthy SoCal businesswoman. They met for a candlelit dinner at a restaurant in California in October of 2014, after Deborah had a string of first dates that ended in disaster. Deborah thought John was handsome, charismatic, accomplished, and genuinely interested in her. At this point, Deborah had four failed marriages behind her and was feeling less than hopeful and finding love. She thought perhaps John was the real deal. So here's some kind of interesting and crazy backstory on Deborah. Mm -hmm. It's not really related to John, but like it kind of is based on like this traumatic event that happened in her life earlier. So on March 8th, 1984, Deborah's sister, Cindy Newell, was actually murdered by her husband of 13 years. This was 20 years before Deborah met John. Billy Vickers shot Deborah's sister, Cindy, in the kitchen of their home they had just sold in Laguna Nigel, California. They were in the process of separating. Billy shot Cindy in the back of her head at close range and then shot himself in the stomach. But he ended up surviving. At the trial, so they showed this in the show in Dirty John, and I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. And I guess this is what actually happened. So at the trial, Cindy's mother, Arlene Hart, actually testified in Billy's defense. They showed this in Dirty John, and I couldn't believe it. So I wrote that as well. So yeah, so this guy shoots your daughter for like no real reason and then you as the mom testify in his defense (laughs) i don't understand that that makes no sense i know like the only thing i can maybe think of is maybe she thought she was like oh i don't want my grandparent my grandkids to go without a father that's like the only if i'm really stretching reason i can maybe come up with but yeah but the father just shot their mother (laughs) i know it doesn't make sense yeah. So, so Arlene then said she loved Billy and did not think he was in his right mind when he shot and killed her daughter. Thomas Avdef was stunned by Arlene's testimony, which he thought painted Cindy in a negative light. I think he was a lawyer. Quote, they threw her under the bus. I don't know the dynamics of the family. I could never understand that. Why say bad things about the victim? End quote. In the end, Billy was acquitted of murder, but was deadlocked on a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter. Billy pleaded guilty in exchange for a five-year sentence. He was released in 1986 after serving less than three years in prison. Cindy's death undoubtedly had a profound effect on Deborah. Deborah hated any kind of firearm and refused to buy her own, despite being warned by people in her family that she needed to get one. In January of 2002, John was being investigated by Dennis Lucan from Warren County Sheriff's Office in Ohio. This investigation began after John was reported being seen by hospital workers, bringing a gun into the operating room and stealing Demerol. Lucan later called John, quote, the most devious, dangerous, deceptive person I have ever met, end quote. 
In April of 2000, John was stripped of his license to work as a nurse and a thesist. Police searched his house and found a loaded gun and 45 empty containers for six different prescription medications. John was arrested in June of 2002. He pleaded guilty to felony drug theft, but insisted, oh wait, but instead of surrendering to authorities, he fled the state and checked into a hotel in Michigan where police found him unconscious and surrounded by drug vials. So this next part, which also sounds crazy, but also was in the show. John was unconscious at this point, so they put him into an ambulance where it's basically rushing to the hospital because I'm guessing they don't know if he overdosed or what. So it's rushing to the hospital. He unbuckles his restraints, grabs a drug kit, and then jumps onto the road from the ambulance. Why? He fled into a nearby JCPenney, climbed on top of a cargo elevator and into the shaft. And then the cops are running after him this whole time. So at one point he kicks a cop in the face. So they finally are able to handcuff him. And he's covered in grease at this point and falls to the ground. And they knock him unconscious. He's sentenced to up to six years in prison in Michigan for resisting arrest and possession of drugs. He served 17 months and then was released in 2004. Why does he keep getting released? In February of 2014, John officially begins his reign of terror against women. He plead guilty to stalking a woman from Laguna Beach. They met at the hospital where he was working while she was recovering from brain surgery. He introduced himself as her anesthesiologist. They dated for a little bit, but then she became uncomfortable when John started suggesting that she transfer her money into his bank account so that she could hide it from her estranged husband. When she ended their relationship, he started to send her threatening messages along with intimate photos of her to her family. So it's after all of this madness that John meets Deborah Newell in October of 2014. They actually met two days after he was released from prison. He was serving time for violating a restraining order. John told Deborah he served as an anesthesiologist. Oh God, anesthesiologist in Iraq, and spent a year with Doctors Without Borders. Deborah said it was these qualities that impressed her the most about John's character. She was swept off her feet, and the relationship developed quickly, although she did notice he had some strange quirks. John wore his medical scrubs everywhere he went, including formal events. He said this was because he had little money, and all of his income was going to his children. But Deborah's children, she had two adult daughters, I think in their 20s. So basically this whole time they didn't like John and like were very suspicious of him. Um, Deborah was successful and affluent and her daughters knew that this made her an easy target for freeloaders. Deborah's older daughter, Jacqueline, even told her mother she should get, quote, the creep out of her house end quote, or else she would move out herself. It does seem like Deborah was maybe supporting her daughters financially as well, but 
I remember one of them having a full-time job, if not both of them. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, at one point, one of the daughters was living with uh, Deborah. Her other daughter, Tara, was uncomfortable around John, but was initially less vocal about it. In November of 2014, John and Deborah decide against her daughter's wishes to move in together officially. They moved into a house on Balboa Island in Newport Beach. The house was in Deborah's name because John did not want his name on the lease. The tension between John and Deborah's daughters came to a boiling point the day before Thanksgiving. Tara discovered her mother was living with John and confronted her about it. So I actually remember this scene kind of from the show. Mm-hmm. So it seems like for whatever reason, her daughter is like in one of the bedrooms or bathrooms and then is either looking for something or just for some reason decides to go through things. And I think she's going through the closet and then sees like all of John's things there. And then John is like in the background somewhere. And then I guess sees the daughter going through his things. And then there's like this confrontation that ensues. Tara found out they were living together when she saw some of John's things in the closets. John found Tara either looking or going through his things and quickly fell into a rage. And Tara was so shaken up by the, the confrontation that she actually left the her mom's apartment and had a very bad feeling in the pit of her stomach. Despite all of the discomfort, John and Deborah married in March of 2015. Deborah's nephew, her sister, Cindy's son, Shad, called her about his concerns regarding John. Shad found out that John lied about being an anesthesiologist and also served time in jail. Deborah told her nephew not to worry, but began looking into John's past more closely. She found a document of his and found evidence revealing his history of seducing, conning, and harassing women. And she found a timeline basically from 2005 to 2014. He met these women on dating sites where he posed as a doctor. By the time Deborah and John got married, three women in Southern California had restraining orders against him and three others requested them later on. Deborah also found printouts from websites where women share details about dangerous men with plenty of warnings about John. He was described as a con artist and as a psychopath. And she actually at this point found his nickname that he earned in law school, Dirty John. Deborah was so bothered by all of this that she moved out of their Balboa Island house while John was in the hospital for back surgery. However, after months of messages and phone calls where John begged Deborah to take him back, they actually did get back together and they moved into a new apartment in Irvine. After a year and three months of being married, Deborah still had some suspicions about John and grew increasingly uncomfortable with John's behavior, as well as the estrangement that this basically forced upon her family because they never felt comfortable with her relationship. Mm-hmm. John did not want Deborah to see her children, especially Jacqueline, who was always vocal about her dislike for him. One day, he caught Deborah trying to meet up with her daughter. And John threatened to throw Jacqueline in the ocean if it ever happened again. Deborah reached her brink- breaking point of March of 2016. She filed to a 
annul her marriage in April. John, at this point, was living in Nevada and started sending her threatening messages, demanding money and promising to ruin her. Deborah requested a restraining order, but an Orange County judge denied her request. They ruled there was no imminent threat because John lived in another state and never physically harmed her. Deborah stopped responding to John's calls and messages at this point. On June 11th, 2016, John stole Deborah's Jaguar while it was parked in front of her office in Irvine. And there's actually surveillance footage that caught John stealing the car. It was found a block away soaked in gasoline with mild fire damage. John tried and failed to set it completely alight. Things were so bad at this point that Deborah called her kids to warn them that John was back in town. On August 20th, 2016, John watched as Deborah's daughter, Tara, returned home from work and parked her car outside of her Newport Beach apartment building. As she got out of her car, John approached from behind and attacked her with a knife. Tara was much smaller than John's frame of six foot two. He lost a lot of weight over the recent weeks, but he still was a lot bigger than she was. They wrestled to the ground and Tara was able to defend herself partly because of her heavy rain boots she was wearing. She kicked the knife out of John's hand and somehow managed to grab it herself and stabbed him 13 times once in the eye. A neighbor found Tara with a wound herself and helped her to call her mom. Tara thought she killed John, but when paramedics uh, responded, they administered CPR and his pulse returned. After spending 57 days in the hospital, John Meehan died in the hospital. He was declared brain dead, and his sister Karen decided to take him off life support. His body was cremated and no memorial service was held. Deborah said that the experience inspired her to try and help victims of domestic abuse. Quote, There are women that are probably scared to death to leave. They don't see any other way of getting out of the relationship, and I want to have a voice for them. End quote. So that's the story of Dirty John Meehan. Wow. Yeah, I was actually, I think I saw, um, what was her name again? Deborah? Deborah Newell. Yeah, I saw her and I think it was her daughter, Tara, like on the Kelly Clarkson Mm. show. So I guess they went on it like a few years back, like when Dirty John was like just starting to like be rolled out. But that story's crazy. I know, like, especially the, uh, him, they found him unconscious, surrounded by drug vials, so they strap him into the ambulance, he unstraps himself, grabs a drug bag, and jumps out onto, like, the street when it's moving. (laughs) But then they have to, like, tackle him in an elevator shaft. (laughs) It's like, what the hell? But no, like, also just, like, the the whole, like, online dating thing, because, like, I... Like, so many people, like, myself included, like, do, like, dating online, and Mm. it's terrifying, because, like, I don't know who these people are that I'm really talking to. Well, it's a red flag if anyone asks you to transfer your money into his account. That would be a no. (laughs) Not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no. 
so yeah you have to like be mindful of red flags and especially like if you're desperate they know like the what yep. the skeezy ones like no like oh you're easy because you're so desperate you'll believe anything yeah. i say the only way he was earning money was from conning women mm-hmm. and it seemed like he was doing it for at least 25 years yeah. so it's basically like his profession and that poor daughter like having to i know self-defense that's what it boils down to self-defense. yeah it's crazy because he's like he's a pretty big guy mm-hmm. they said that apparently he wasn't really eating don't know what was going on i think Probably. i remember when i was watching it he was like did seem pretty out of it or whatever yeah. but still the the actress at least was like tiny so that's very intense and he had a knife yeah, like that's just scary. And also like the judge not giving granting, like granted know, so restraining restraining orders like probably don't really do much, really, when you think about it. But like just the fact that it was denied because it's like, oh, he's in another state, but it's also like he could come back. Like he's only in Nevada and they're in California. That's like me being in mass and like them being in like Rhode Island or I know, Nevada's close. So it's like that's just bull on that. I know. So, but yeah, no, I've definitely heard about this. It's been a while, but like, I think it's a really kind of important like lesson regarding like Mm -hmm. dating, especially online dating and older generations too. Right. Like, I feel like online dating is now trying to get like older, but it's still like more common for like younger people. Mm -hmm. So granted, my mom met my stepdad online, so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So. But and I know people that I've met, like, there's significant others online, too. But, like, I don't know. Sometimes it also just feels like it's a crapshoot. Like, mm-hmm. it worked out well for them. But then, like, you hear other stories and you're like, maybe, I don't know. I found it interesting that she was able to find dirt on him. Like, it was 20, 2014, 2015. Yeah. yeah. She was just, like, Googling his name and was able to find forums or something like that where other women are talking about him. Like, I was like, where did she find this? <laughs> like, that is something I would do before. Like, Right. Yeah, if it's actually out that's there. That's something that, like, like, you can Google anyone. You can find information about anyone. Just Google them. But the fact that, like, he's not a celebrity. He's just a normal person. So a lot of women must have been talking about him for her to find something. God. also and then like already being married and finding that and just having that like, yep. oh shit moment it's insane yeah his first wife who basically paid for his nursing school i wonder what happened to his kids i know because i don't think it they really yeah i don't know don't know You do? Yes, because after you sent me the photo, well, initially before you sent it, you said, oh, I think I told you last week, but I don't remember. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't remember either. Then you sent me the photo and I remembered. Yeah, I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> so this week. And I was related I've, to your mom. Yes. 
It is because we stayed there. So I picked the Omni Parker House Hotel that's located in Boston. It's located near like Faneuil Hall and Park Street. Because mm-hmm. um, I know I've heard stories about it for years and I've never like my mom has stayed there in the past when I was in like college and stuff. And I told and I think one of the reasons why she picked it was because she knows it's haunted and she loves that. Like that's where I get it from. She loves it. Oh, so yeah, she loves anything haunted or ghost story or ghost hunter. Hmm. Yeah. So basically, um, I actually found out like a lot more about it. It actually has a lot longer history than I thought. Ooh. So apparently the Omni Parker House, the one that we know of, was built in 1927. But the original Parker House Hotel actually opened up on October 8th on, in 1855. And that makes it the longest continuously operating hotel in the United States. Over the years, there have been obviously like additions and alterations to make it like the building that like we know it as today. Um, like between 1866 and 1925, it increased size with the new stories and new additions, and eventually it expanded its footprint to over 41,400 square feet of land. Um, and the bulk of the city kind of bordered that by the Tremont and Tremont Street and School Street and Bosworth Street, as well as Chapman Place. The founder of the hotel was Harvey D. Parker, and he ran the hotel until his death in 1884. Um, Then the business essentially passed on to his partners. And then it was eventually, I think one of the proprietors was Edward O. Punchard and Joseph H. Beckman, which were from 1884 to 1891, and then passed on to a few other people. The most recent was Robert Rowling of TRT Holdings, and he came into possession of it in 1996, and he still runs it today. So he's kind of like the current um, owner of it. Mm-hmm. It's a member of the Historic Hotels of America, and it's official program of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. It's currently under study for actually becoming a Boston landmark. And although with COVID-19, um, it prevented the hotel from hosting guests for a short period, the operations and marketing team still continue to manage the property in preparation to welcome people back, um, as well as groups and social events. And I can say that right now, one of the, because they have two um, restaurants in there, they have like a breakfast place, and then they have like a bar. The breakfast place is open certain days a week for a little bit of time, but the bar, I believe, is still pretty much closed, which kind of stinks, because it's a really cool bar to go to. Hmm. Um, it's also it's also been rendezvous for like a rendezvous like place for politicians to stay. Um, it's been home to the Saturday Club, which met on the fourth Saturday of every month, except during July, August, and September. And like these members included poets, essayists, and permanent transcendentalists, such as That's so Ralder. funny. Even they're like, oh, it's New England. We want to hang out and do things on Saturdays. Yeah. During these summer months, we don't want to sit here inside. It's nice out. But, like, it includes, like, really famous writers like Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, James Russell. Oh, yeah, he liked the nature. That makes sense. He was probably hiking or something. Probably. It included, like, Nathaniel Hawthorne, uh, John Mm. Greenleaf Whittier, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, 
diplomat Charles Francis Adams, historian Francis Perkman, and like I guess the sage about this is what it says. It actually says like sage about town, Dr. Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. Um, Charles Dickens was also a resident of the Parker House for about five months between mm. 1867 and 1868 in his own. He had like his own apart- apartments mm-hmm. um, where he first recited and performed a Christmas carol for the Saturday Club at the Parker House. Mm. And then he, I guess, like did it for the adoring public nearby on tre- in, at the Tremont Temple. And actually, the Parker House does currently hold possession of the door to Dickens' guest room where he stayed in 1867 and the mirror mm. that he used for rehearsals. So they do have that. It introduced to America what became known as the European Plan. Um, so prior to that time, American hotels had included meals in the cost of room and offered them only at set times. The Parker House actually changed that, or actually only charged only for the room, which made meals be separate um, to whoever, like, came to stay so that's kind of like what we have to like you pay for the room but you don't necessarily pay for the meals you pay for them separately but I think today if you order like room service it becomes like part of the bill but you still pay that separately so it's interesting how that like has kind of changed Hmm. even John Wilkes Booth stayed at the hotel from April 5th April 6th yep 1865 eight days before the assassinating of Abraham Lincoln he was apparently in Boston to see his brother, who is an actor, Edwin Booth, who was performing there. Um, and while in Boston, Booth was actually seen practicing at a firing range near the Parker House. Oh, God. The Parker House is also known for this Massachusetts state dessert, the Boston cream pie. It was invented. Mm. At, it, they also invented the Parker House roll, and they coined the word scrod, which is not a kind of fish, mm. but a term for the freshest, finest, and youngest white fish of the day. Oh. They've also had Shaq Offenbach stay at the hotel during the 1876 tour of the U.S. And he was inspired by, he was inspired by the roles. He sang a tune to Friends as a joke, and he would later use it in his opera, The Tales of Hoffman. Um, oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's kind of ringing a bell a little bit. So the founder, uh, Harvey Parker, did die at the age of 79 on May 31st, 1884. He was buried in Mont Auburn Cemetery, the performance home of many of Boston's most prestigious people. And the ambitious Maine farm boy who arrived in Boston almost penniless in 1825, he actually died with a net worth of... 1,272,500, nope, 1,272,500,000 94 and his will granted 100000 to Boston's new Museum of Fine Arts and provided the foundation for the Prince Department. Yeah, so basically, and I'm bringing him up because he's supposedly one of the ghosts that haunts the hotel. Mm-hmm. And then basically... It just kind of goes on to explain, like, who kind of brought it uh, or who kind of bought it. But those are basically, like, the most famous events that happened at the hotel from what I could find. The other famous people that included in the hotel, um, Ho Chi Minh worked as a baker in the hotel from 1912 to 1913. Malcolm X then... Going by the name Malcolm Little, he was actually, he worked at a busboy in the hotel in the 1940s. 
And long before he was a culinary superstar, Emeril Lagasse served as a sous chef in the Parker kitchens from 1979 to 1981. The Parker house has also been essentially not only had writers come there to become inspired by Boston or the Parker house, but also has been featured in a ton of poetry and prose um, set in and around the Boston area. For example, Edith Wharton included a private meeting between characters Mr. Newland Archer and Countess Ellen Olenska at the Parker House and her celebrated mm. works, The 20th Century, The Age of Innocence. Mm. Archer is told that Countess Olenska is staying in Boston at the Parker House and then flees to Newport to meet her flees Newport to meet her there. It was also featured in Arthur's Miller's A Death of a Salesman as well as uh, it was claimed to be in Stephen King's 1999 short story, 1408, which is about a writer who experiences a haunted stay in a New York hotel called The Dolphin, uh, was based in room 303, which is one of the haunted rooms in the hotel. So it's been, it's also been featured in works by Mark Twain. It's been featured in uh, Donna Tardy's 1992 novel, The Secret History. It's just been featured in a lot of stuff. Uh, most recently, the 2011 Grammy, Grammy award-winning Parker Quartet, both founded and currently based in Boston, is named after the hotel. So mm-hmm. just to kind of give you an idea of not only how long it's been around, but like how much famous people have stayed there, how many famous people have been inspired by that hotel to include it in their work. And that just shows that it will definitely live on in history because it's just so well-known. So the main question that I was trying to figure out was whether or not it's really haunted. Now, unfortunately, I did not experience anything weird when I stayed at this hotel for two nights. Um, It's definitely very old world Boston, like the way it's set up and the way the rooms are set up. It's very old school and it's very kind of like old world and it's very classic like Boston. So it's very comfortable. It's kind of smallish rooms, but they're comfortable. They're cozy. Again, I didn't experience anything weird. I did try to ask, like, the people working there, but they were also really busy, and I didn't want to be that weirdo that's like, hi, I do a podcast. Like, have you seen anything weird? But there were – there have been a few weird things that have been going on at the hotel that people just can't explain. So, for example, in – so a bellman by the name of John Bram in 1992, the Boston Globe, in an interview, he said, I first heard about the ghost of Harvey Parker when I began working here in 1941. Um, they used to say that he would roam the halls of the 10th floor annex, and there were a ton of stories, but one in particular happened around 1950. I guess an elderly woman or female guest insisted she saw an apparition outside of room oh, 1078. At first, it was a misty apparition in the air, and then it turned toward her. She said it was heavy set older man with a black mustache. He just looked at her and then faded away. She came downstairs a bit jittery, and security went up to the 10th floor. They checked it out, but reported they couldn't find anything. Guests have also reported at the, t- at the same time on two consecutive mornings, there were people whispering outside her doorway. So I guess this is one specific guest. And each time she would open her door, she found that no one was outside it. And... Uh, her room was at the end of the hallway, so there was no way someone could make a quick exit. And that the guests said that they were very friendly voices and had just come back from a glorious evening. Now, one thing I did learn from the hotel is that the walls are very, very thin. 
Like my mm. mom and I would be laying in bed watching TV. We'd hear somebody in the room next door turn on the shower. We'd hear somebody talking. It sounded like they were in the hallway. So we'd go and check and no one's in the hallway, but it was our neighbors next door. So yeah. for that, I'm wondering if maybe she just heard her neighbors and was just tired and just was like, oh, like maybe I did hear something or maybe somebody just came in. Mm-hmm. So that could be a possibility as well. However, this has happened a lot specifically for the room 1040 where there's a bit of noise complaint on several occasions and every time security would go up, they'd look, there'd be nothing. Hmm. There's also the third floor, um, which is the Charles Dickens kind of occupied floor, I guess. Um, and the elevator will just go up to the third floor without anybody pushing it. And for some reason, it just opens on the third floor. There's also been a longtime resident apparently in room 303. He was known for consumption of large amounts of whiskey and smoking foul cigars. And apparently it was a a famous 1870s actress who tragically died on the third floor of the hotel during the height of her career. And apparently now people just hear mysterious sounds throughout the floor. And like I said, the elevator kind of just opens on the third floor for no reason. They've also reported hearing um, a man's laughter during their stay in the room, which again could be attributed to the neighbors. But if you know nobody's next to you, it's a little creepy to hear somebody laughing in the middle of the night and you know you're alone. Mm. And then I guess there's been stuff happening on the 10th floor with the sound of like, People have been hearing like a rocking chair at night and they don't have rocking chairs in this hotel. I can definitely attest to that. So that's been a little bit weird. And then I guess one last incident that does happen in room 1012 happened where a mother and daughter were spending the night and the daughter actually awoke around daybreak to find a gentleman dressed in period garments of the later 1800s, just kind of standing at the end of her bed. And he was sporting a long grid or a large grid. And he asked her if she was enjoying her stay. And when she smiled back, the man just kind of disappeared. And the woman was kind of like, not sure what happened. And then she found a portrait of her nightly visitor in the dining room when she went down to breakfast. And it was actually a portrait of Harvey Parker. So that's kind of the main one um, that I kept finding. I kept finding stuff for the third floor and the 10th floor. And unfortunately I was on the seventh floor. So I didn't see or hear anything and it's a really nice hotel, but it's just creepy that they've been seeing things since like mid 19th century. And they're still like, Oh yeah, that's just like Harvey Parker. Like he's just coming to like, see if you're liking your stay. So I guess it shows dedication, but also it's kind of creepy, especially if he's like in your bedroom and you're just trying to sleep. I know. But, I don't know. I thought it was really cool and the history was really cool and so much has happened and to be able to say like, yeah, I've stayed there. And yeah, nothing happened, but like I still stayed there. It was kind of nice to actually like go to a place that I talk about as opposed to just being like, oh, I really want to go there. I wish we could stay there. Like, let's go. Yeah, it's a cool hotel. Like, it's basically a landmark. Like, Mm -hmm. it's it looks cool from the outside. I remember... um, Either when I was going to like Suffolk or when I was working somewhere, I would basically walk by that hotel like every day. Yeah. And I would always 
looking and I'm assuming this is the part you were talking about like the bar area mm-hmm. it had these like big plush red chairs and I was always like oh that looks nice that looks fancy so, yeah it looked pretty cool from the street so yeah it was it definitely cool. catches your eye it does and it is well known like anyone in Boston is like oh yeah the Omni Parker Hotel and it's in a really like gray area because it's around mm-hmm. like so much and so much it's around so much history itself yeah like you said it's a landmark it's like the granary cemetery that's right across the street it's just you know it but yeah yeah it was cool it was fun it was a fun visit and it was fun to stay there the main thing i knew about it was like charles dickens how like his ghost is reportedly seen Mm -hmm. yeah but i didn't see much about his ghost i tried to look because i remember that from the ghost tour that we took years ago Oh yeah, maybe that was where yeah that would make sense where yeah but I think it's just the amount of famous people that have stayed mm-hmm. there from, like, you've got, like, Charles Dickens to, like, John Wilkes Booth to, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's very, like, opposite ends of the spectrum. So right. it obviously attracted a lot of people. It's, so. like, the most famous people of that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Mark Twain did something. Yep. Mark Twain, yeah. he included cool. it in one of his pieces, or he referenced it, I think. Just, like, imagining people meeting on Saturdays there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, also just like even being in a hotel room there is like I wonder like who stayed here before. I like know. has anyone famous stayed in this room? So that was kind of cool. It's probably like equivalent to like New York where like the old fancy hotels are like the mm-hmm. older Astoria or like yep. Plaza or something like that. I like how there's a food attributed to it as well, the donut. <laughs> Really the cake? Yeah. Pie? Yeah, the Boston oh cream God. pie. Yeah. Yeah. Boston cream pie. I did not have any because they were not open. And I'm not a huge Boston cream pie fan, but apparently that's where it was. That's where it all started. So yay. But yeah, it was cool. It was a cool place to like research too, because I've been meaning to do it for a while and I was like, I'm staying there. I'm gonna do it. Let's see yeah. what I can find. So good job. Thanks, you too. Good story. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 24 of Oi with a Terror Already. We release an episode every Thursday, and you can find us on Spotify. Oh, God. Google Playlist? No. Nope. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Google Podcast? Is it that? Yeah. Okay. Google Podcast or anywhere else podcasts can be listened to. You can also follow us on Instagram at Oi with the Terror already. We do post a lot of content, especially on Thursdays when we're dropping our new episode. If you do have a scary story or if you want us to talk about a topic, please email us at Oi with the Terror already at gmail.com. We'd love to get your emails and figure out if anybody else besides us has had any spooky encounters. So thanks again for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye.